Hi, everybody. Welcome to the June 5th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Governor John Hickenlooper's vetoes this week of two bills that would have banned or restricted the use of red light cameras and photo radar. Patty Calhoun from Westward, these vetoes were expected. It didn't, uh, this wasn't a surprise, but... Governor Hickelberg seemed to offer at least some way to some, maybe some future regulation of the issue. What do you think? Well, and I think next year legislators would be wise when the governor starts flashing a yellow light, as he did in April when he said, here are the problems I have, here's what I'd like to see. They might want to consider making those amendments so he will pass the bills. I think we'll see the bills come back, and I think they will pass next year, and the governor will sign them in if it has the caveats he mentioned. Also, kudos to him for banning, um, for vetoing that crazy payday loan bill that went through at the very end that no one apparently paid attention to. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, what do you think of Hickenlooper's ideas to uh, not amend these bills? He's already vetoed, but to come back at this issue next year. Well, and I think one of the, the sponsors has already said he looks forward to working with the governor to do something that he'll, the governor will sign, which the governor, he said they should be restricted to construction zones and school zones, and they should not be used as a revenue-raising source. And I think that's a good first step, and as what you do in politics is when you have a governor who is obstructionist on full reform, well, if you can pass partial reform, that you, you do that while you can, and I, I look forward to that happening. It's, of all the controversial things that have come to his desk, uh, it is interesting to see that this is one of the very, very few that provokes his, his veto pen. So we know, I think know where his, his core is, is uh, in protecting municipal government uh, from civil libertarians. <laughs> Ed Sealand from the Denver Business Journal. Um, governor Hickelooper, he's a governor now, but he's a former mayor. So people saw this for a while, that he wasn't going to go against what a lot of other mayors uh, and city officials thought was a good idea. But are you surprised that uh, legislators didn't amend the bills and just pass them as is if they probably thought a veto was coming? You know, this was not a session when there was a lot of amending of bills going on. This was a session when you were running them through. If it died, it died. Great. You still make a political point. And if it passed, well, hey, great surprise. Something actually went through both chambers. Um, it's, it's interesting to see the, the groups that hold the most sway with Hickenlooper, and the Colorado Municipal League is certainly one of them. You know, as, as a seven-year mayor, he understands what it means to run a city. And, and the reason I mention that is, is not that this veto was surprising, but it was so surprising then that he actually signed urban renewal reform into law less than a week beforehand when the Municipal League had come out, and even banks had come out and say, if you sign this, we're going to stop funding urban renewal projects. So it's just very interesting. This one wasn't a surprise, but it's very interesting to see he actually did buck maybe his, uh, his most consistent uh, supporter in the Municipal League. And Ben Gill, public affairs consultant, first time to the table, so we appreciate you being here. Uh, wrap it up for us. You know, I think, as they all alluded to, it wasn't any surprise. And I think given the governor's history as being a mayor, he does tend to defer to local control. Everybody knew that he asked for certain amendments that didn't get created, so no shock. I think to Ed's point about the legislation that he signed the week before, you know, my view of that is that it has less publicity. The ticket issue is something that's been coming up year after year. There's a lot of noise about it, and I think he would have gotten a lot more scrutiny for letting that one go through as opposed to the, the uh, urban renewal bill.
In a long negotiated deal over the development of an airtropolis near DIA, the city of Denver has agreed to pay Adams County $10 million up front to begin construction on 1,500 acres of land. Tax revenues from the area will be split evenly between Denver and Adams County, and DIA will retain the revenue from land leases. Penny, this was another one that a couple years ago was on the brink of disaster with the two Adams County threatening to sue Denver because of the violation of the 19, uh, I guess, 98 agreement about 88. how... Uh, 88 agreement, yes, 88 agreement about how DIA and the land was set up. Um, was the final result in negotiation surprising? Surprising that it may be, may be surprising in that it was so successful. I think they came up with a fairly good solution. There's so many lessons here for us. One is remembering what it was like in 1988, even just to get this agreement through. You remember Governor Roy Romer went around eating oatmeal to convince Adams County and the other counties that this was a good idea. They didn't want Denver to annex land. We had to take it to a vote. That, that 1988 agreement was very, very carefully parsed out. So the first thing Hick Hancock should have done when he decided he wanted to push his aerotropolis was maybe go back and reread that document <laughs> and realize just how carefully written that document was, how many lawyers had signed off on it, and so that's the outcry was. It was a pretty ironclad document. Adams County and Aurora have obviously gained a lot of power, a lot of financial power, a lot of clout since 1988. Those are growing areas. And they fought back, and that's why Denver had to spend a lot of time to work out an agreement that will ultimately work out for everyone, assuming we all vote for it and Romer's still around to eat oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David, Patty alludes to the part that while the cities have agreed to this uh, in, uh, in form, the, the voters in Adams County and in Denver have to officially approve this November 3rd. Do you think there's any problem with it being uh, passed by voters in this fall? Sure. I, th I think... Uh Denver and Adams County governments worked out a, a fair arrangement between themselves. As Patty said, the, the mayor, Hancock, got off to a bad start by unilaterally announcing things that were very contrary to the agreement, but he, they ultimately negotiated something that, that, that's fine for Denver and Adams in revenue sharing. But how much are the taxpayers going to be on the hook? How much rather than just opening up land that's in some ways desirable because it's near a big airport uh, for development, how much are the developers going to be subsidized by the taxpayers? Why should a person in, in Denver or Adams County have to pay money to somebody who's building a business out there? So how much corporate welfare is going to be in it? We, we know it's going to be fair of Denver from county to county. We don't know whether it's going to be fair to the taxpayers yet. And the, the split between... Uh the revenue, not the revenues, but uh, the, the tax taxes going to Adams County and Denver seemed pretty fair. That part of the negotiation seemed uh, a natural result. The $10 million up front almost seemed like a fee that Denver's having to pay because they stepped in it the wrong way. I don't know. I, I wasn't in there. It's just a personal opinion. As you look at what we've seen so far in the negotiations, what do you think? I was a little surprised at that one, too. Um, but I don't know that... Hancock approaching it the way he did brings about that fee. I, I think maybe that's something they demand uh, anyway. I mean, you know, Adams County seems to be the poster child of, you know, Denver has had so much success since the recession, but not all of us are doing well. Um, and, and this almost seemed to be kind of Denver's contribution to help out their economy. Either way, though, it's going to be worth it. This is, and, and, and when uh, there was an 
a major airport conference that was here in November, and people from other areas talked about this, especially the Dallas-Fort Worth area. This is going to be a major contributor to the economy if they can pull this off, right? We're talking tens of millions of dollars in tax revenue, not, you know, just going to governments, regardless all the money that's going to be going through the private economy that comes in. Um, so I, I think at some point, if Hancock realized I got stuff on a bad foot, he was probably going to be willing to pay any price to continue this going, especially since it really looks at this point like the airport is going to be his legacy. I know he's only five years in, but this is where he's doing the most good, making the most uh, change in his uh, as a mayor. And so I think uh, I think ten million in the end might be seen as a low price. Ben, uh, Mayor Hancock walked in uh, for his first term and quickly put the Eurotropolis as his goal and a big part of what he thought would be his legacy and ran right into a wall when it comes to this agreement. Now that it seemingly has opened up, again, uh, upon approval from the voters, mm -hmm. do you think this will seal a, uh, a major benefit for his legacy? I think there's no question, and as Ed alluded to, there's huge opportunity at the airport. Even though it's 20 years old, it's still the newest airport in the United States. And one of the things that is sort of granular but is important to note is that there's huge opportunity for runway expansion still at the airport, and that the plan that they've developed around this is, first of all, it's important to note that this is airport city and not Aerotropolis. We're talking about the 53 square miles that's the airport footprint itself. And the plan that they've developed is about attracting businesses that wouldn't be here that need instant delivery capability. So this is a huge deal for the city of Denver and for the entire region. So there's no question, as Ed said, we're going to recapture all that money. The $10 million may seem like a big ticket up front, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a drop in the bucket compared to what we see coming back. And I do think it will do a lot for the mayor's legacy and, frankly, a lot for the city. Um, especially when you look at what's happening at Union Station, there's going to be four light rail stops on the airport, airport footprint, which is incredibly important. And that's where the nodes of development are going to be. And that's what the plan calls for, is for the development to be around the transit nodes. So I think it's going to be a huge opportunity. I think we're going to see massive economic development. And I think it's a great idea to really open up the engine that is the airport. Congressman Mike Kaufman announced this week that he will not be running for U.S. Senate against Michael Bennett in 2016. Many saw Kaufman as Bennett's highest profile GOP opponent, especially when John Southers was recently elected as the new mayor of Colorado Springs. Uh, David, this uh, somewhat surprised me because I thought, as I think a lot of people did, that Kaufman was the, uh, really the guy who could probably take on Bennett. It would still be a very tight race. There was no shoe-in, but it would be pretty competitive, especially with how we saw Cory Gardner be successful in 2014. But perhaps there's another Kaufman in the wings that could serve as even a better opponent for Bennett in 2016. What do you think? Uh, right. Uh, Mrs. Kaufman, who, of course, is our attorney general. Cory Gardner, in the summer of 2013, said he wasn't going to run for U.S. Senate. So we, I, I don't think we can, can – and I believe uh, Mrs. Clinton repeatedly said she wasn't going to run for president. So we, we can't conclusively rule out uh, Kaufman because th things can change. As uh, There will probably be a half dozen or so folks who throw their hat in the ring or express interest in running for U.S. Senate as the Republican nominee, and uh, most of whom will be people who have uh, not much name recognition beyond sort of the, the, the core 5% of the public that follows politics closely. We'll, we'll see who comes up. You know, back in 1974, there were, I think, five Democratic candidates for the U.S. Senate nomination. Not one of them was even an elected official. Uh, other than Herrick Roth, who was the head of the, the 
AFL-CIO and had been elected by the, the union. The, the guy who ultimately won the nomination was Gary Hart, uh, who was a, a lawyer who had been a George McGovern campaign manager. And then he went on, on to win a pretty solid victory over the incumbent Republican Peter Dominic. As in 74, or 2014, the national climate will play a big deal in this. And if people are saying, oh, Obama was so wonderful, I just want another want to continue this, then, then Hillary Clinton will probably win and probably be able to, to, her coattails will bring Bennett along with her. On the other hand, if it's 2008 and like, we've had enough of this stuff, we want a big change, uh, then I don't see how Bennett uh, makes it through the general election unless he has the, the good luck of a candidate uh, who kept, keeps uh, shooting himself in the foot. So if Ken Buck runs again, yeah, right. I get you. Uh, Ed, were, were you surprised by the announcement? And like David said, how much uh, credence do you give to it this uh, far ahead of the game? I, I, I was surprised, and I, I actually do give it a little bit of credence. I mean, I, I think Kaufman is in a unique position where he's taken a, a swing district and really turned it into his district. Um, and, uh, and, and I think he might have just looked right across the metro area and seen how Ed Perlmutter's done the same thing, and that Kaufman can pretty much, I know, no, Morgan Carroll will disagree with this, but at this point, Coppin's going to have to put his own foot in his mouth and not keep this seat for life, or not be the representative he's been in actually getting to know that district in recent years. Um, I'm surprised that he's not running because I think there was going to be a substantial amount of pressure put on him to run, and I think this tries to avert this. Um, so the question is, where do we go next? And you see a lot of names being thrown out there. Scott Tipton has, uh, through the channels, uh, is sig signaled that he's interested, and he's a major disadvantage and that he's one of only two Colorado Congress members whose district doesn't touch the Denver media market. So your biggest voting block doesn't know about this guy who's been in office for five years so far. Um, I think one of the more interesting names that will be thrown out there is George Brockler, the Arapahoe County DA. Um, voters in the state have seemed to like DAs. I mean, all they do is get in the news for prosecuting criminals. I mean, obviously Brockler is in the news big time right now. His office has a chance to, to win a case that everyone's uh, pulling for him to win, and he has a chance to come out of this with, uh, with none of the blemishes that some of the other candidates will bring to this race. I'm curious to see if this will be a catapult for him. Uh, ben, uh, probably as a viewer but not as a participant, you know, may not know uh, Colorado Inside Out's tradition of uh, predicting wildly this far ahead of a, an election <laughs> and ruining several different political careers uh, with our predictions. So we hope you can join in with that. As you look ahead, is, is it Brockler? Is it Cynthia Kaufman? Does Mike change his mind? Is there another name out there that we're just not thinking about that's going to be a surprise? Who do you think Bennett faces in a year? Hard to say. I think, as David said, it's it's early, and it's hard to you know give total credence to an announcement that he's not going to do something today because there's a lot of time, and we saw Cory Gardner change his mind as well. I think you know if I'm the Republican Party, I would be looking long and hard at the roster that they have, and you know it could be that not having a lot of exposure in the Denver media market is an advantage for Scott Tipton simply because. Creating your own narrative, I think, is a really critical element in this. And you can see what happened with Udall, how Gardner was really able to control the narrative and really define Udall. And part of the issue there was that it was hard for the Democrats to, in turn, define Gardner beyond a single issue. So I think it's possible that someone new without as much of a backstory would be advantageous. I certainly think the DA uh, has a lot of appeal. Um, so. You know, we shall see. I do suspect that Bennett will face a very difficult re-election. Patty, I'm of the thinking that uh, Cynthia Kaufman would offer different challenges for Bennett because 
if the if him and his campaign go to the war and win point, while Cynthia Kaufman is certainly socially conservative, it's a little bit harder to say this woman would be bad for women's rights. I, I, I get that you can still make the argument, but it's harder. Do you think she poses different challenges, or is she really even in the conversation? Well, I'm not sure why she is the go-to person right now. Let's remember Jane Buck, uh, Jane Norton didn't sure. go do well. Ken Buck beat her, and we saw how well that worked out. I think everyone is looking at this right now. The only one who might not be is Andrew Romanoff, but he might be considering becoming a, he might consider becoming a Republican. He's run for this. He's run for that seat. I don't think Kaufman is being coy. It doesn't seem like he wants to be urged to do it. I think he just came out ahead so that the Republicans can look on their bench and see if anyone is sitting there. All we have to do is look at the governor's race last year to see there were some interesting candidates like Mike Kopp. And um, if he'd been allowed to run a little further, he might be someone who would be an interesting candidate right now. Brockler's interesting. Who else? Dan Kaplis has always floated the idea of running. I think everyone is out there exploring it now, including maybe Andrew Romanoff. <laughs> <laughs> the city of Denver plans to ask voters to authorize the borrowing of a total of $778 million for the redevelopment of the National Western Complex and additions to the Convention Center. The funds are to be paid back with a permanent extension of tourist taxes originally approved to build the Convention Center. Uh, Ed, you're one of our experts when it comes to business issues like this. I know the 778 is divided a couple different ways. Uh, I guess only 476 of that is technically the tourist taxes. There's some other things there. Uh, do you think Denver voters would go for this because mostly it's going to be taxes that they'll only be paying when they're renting a hotel room? Well, it's, it's not just that. Let's remember that this is not new taxes either or raise taxes. If Denver parses its message right, it will point out these are extensions of mm -hmm. two existing taxes and they are taxes that are paid almost solely by people who are coming in from outside the area. Certainly people can rent a car, stay in a hotel overnight here in Denver, um, but these, you know, that's the point is that other people can fund our National Western Complex, our convention center. Um, do I think Denver voters will go for it? I was sitting there mulling this. I can't remember the last time Denver voters rejected a tax increase. And, you know, in, in, in an age when Colorado voters won't even sniff the idea of raising taxes for schools, Denver voters have seemed to raise taxes for anything and anything that comes on the ballot. So, um, yeah, I think, I think if they sell this correctly, and there's another point that's worth pointing out here, there's $250 million in state funding that goes to this if Denver voters pass this. If not, that money doesn't go to the project. Right. So, you know, there's, there's more money coming in uh, from a non-Denver source as well. So I think if they parse this well, they've got a good chance of selling this uh, in, uh, in an off-year election especially. Ben, when the idea of a, a new National Western Complex came up and they put a, a maybe a $750 million or a billion-dollar price tag to it, it was seemed impossible of how they're going to come up with this money. Now we're starting to see some of the strategy. And while it's certainly not done, there's a long way to the finish line. Uh, what do you think the odds are that we're going to see this full ex complex expansion built? Well, I think that they've got a long way to go in articulating what exactly they're going to build. There's also a, a fair amount of work to do to articulate what the authority is that will manage that money and control the process. And I think that those are things that need to be defined. I think, as Ed pointed out, that if the city frames this correctly, that taxpayers will likely go for it. It is an extension of a tax, and it's one that is usually called a visitor's tax, which is, I think, pretty easy for people to swallow. I think that this is another really critical infrastructure investment that can also be a, a big part of the mayor's legacy. When you talk about the stock show, you're really talking about connecting a part of North Denver to the rest of the city that has been sort of cut off. So this investment is, is really critical for the future of the city. And talk about 
you know, connecting, it, it will go from downtown to the stock show to the airport. So it's all interconnected, and I think it will pass. I think that it will be an important part of the mayor's legacy moving forward if he does it right. But there's, as we've said, there's a lot of work to be done to define what's going to happen. One of the issues with it, as I see it, is that none of the money that's being put up is going to be invested in land that's owned by the city today. So that's a potential problem. The, the lack of an authority is an issue. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack still, but I do think it will happen. I, I think it will be positive for the city. Penny, it's a big part of the city, but I think still many uh, Denverites, at least many people who live outside of the city proper, see this as a really important piece of land three weeks a year. And then the rest of the time, eh, not so much. Is that going to impact these plans as the city moves forward? Well, the, the city is going to try very hard not to let it impact. And so they're doing things like having Riot Fest there in August so that everyone understands you can riot and you can, you know, go see cows there in January. <laughs> so they're trying to make it look like it's going to be a big festival center, be a year-round thing. They're also sweetening the pot. Some of that lodger's tax, 100,000, uh, 100 million, will go to convention center expansion so that downtown isn't upset by what's going to be, I mean, there will be a real center that'll take activities away from downtown, although they're supposed to work together. Remember, a lot of this got set in motion, again, because of Aurora, Aurora mm -hmm. in Adams County when the whole Gaylord project came up. I just think our ballot in November is going to be very complicated. Trying to understand the airport deal, trying to explain this deal, and anyone who's ever had a visitor come to their house after renting a car at DIA and they start screaming about the fees, it's not a minor amount. And of course, everyone in Colorado coming for the stock show will be paying for those fees. It's just the people in Denver who can go home to sleep won't be. So it's going to be challenging. Probably it'll pass, but people may wonder why this and no other project. Uh, David, I think Penny makes a good point. The the total tax, I think right now it can be off a little bit here, but I think the car rental tax is at 14.75, so four, almost 15%, and uh, the hotel is uh, a little bit over 11%. That's pretty high taxes if you just say that. Do you think people are going to look that far into the fine print? Well, when you raise tourism taxes, on the one hand, it's easy because the, the voters aren't paying them. On the other hand, there's a limit for how high you can go. I mean, New Orleans has huge tourism taxes, but there, there's a limit on even there, even though they're a, such a destination city. If you bring them up too much, you start driving away the conventions where they say, oh, you know, our, our members uh, only are going to have a budget of so much, and, and this tax puts us over the top, so, you know, we're going to look at another city which has lower hotel rates and, and, and lower taxes. To make the tax permanent for this means you can't then, in the future, vote to decide to have the tourism tax money go for something else. You're putting the convention center and the National Western Stock Show on a permanent welfare system, meaning those can revenues can never be used for non-welfare purposes. Patty talked about reading the actual agreement uh, involving the airport. How about the one on the National Western Stock Show where they got their last round of welfare in exchange for them taking the responsibility of maintenance and upgrades for that facility, which they breached? I don't think you should continue giving welfare on a permanent basis to recipients who won't live up to their own solemn responsibility commitments. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. I'm going to return to Mother Nature, who I've been complaining about, but this, this week she has gone off the charts, and especially when you think about the weekend where you have something like the People's Fair, which is a Denver institution that everyone bring their umbrellas and probably a pith helmet to ward <laughs> off the hail. David. The 
pro-gun organization known as Give Money to Dudley Brown. It, its <laughs> Mississippi fundraising branch was recently sanctioned for violating the lobbying laws, and it was pointed out that he had completely screwed up gun rights in Mississippi by turning on his robocall hate generation machine against legislators who had perfect pro-gun voting records. Ed. The FIFA scandal isn't the most important thing going on in the world, but it is tarnishing a game that is the favorite of much of the world. The fact that Sepp Blatter took this long to step down is good news, but it's embarrassing it took this long. I only hope he's got a great seat for the 2018 World Cup in a U.S. federal prison. <laughs> <laughs> ben. I think the Denver Post for offering more buyouts. We just went through a municipal election where we had little to no press coverage, and I think it was really detrimental to the public, and to know that they're going to cut back uh, even more is, uh, it's sad. Say something, right, say something nice about somebody. Patty? I'm going to say something nice about our new table mate, Ben Gelt, and some of the campaigns he ran, including one that has Kevin Flynn mm -hmm. elevated to city council. I think he will be a great city council member. Here, here. David? The Denver Post employees, who I think are working hard under tough conditions, and it, it's, it's, it's rough trying to make a living as a journalist these days, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad for all that they've contributed to our community. Here, here. Noodles and Company will open up its first international store on Tuesday. And, you know, this is cute, but it's also good because it really expands Colorado's growing reputation as one of the fast, casual uh, capitals of the world. This is going to be the fourth uh, chain that we've had that's headquartered in Colorado growing outside the country. I'm assuming from your clever tweet it's going to Canada, right? Yes. Uh -huh. yes. Nicely done. <laughs> ben. Well, thank you, Patty, for recognizing Kevin Flynn. He asked me to as well. Um, I wanted to actually rep recognize um, Rep. John Buckner, who passed away. Um, really a very nice man, an excellent, uh, excellent leader, and uh, you know, someone who championed education reform, and uh, he'll be missed. Certainly will be. Well, be, uh, be sure to check out CIO Post Game that we'll be taping right after this. It's available online. We'll be talking more about the city council races, uh, the great runoffs that just came out through this week. That is all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Remember that you can catch any part of the show or CIO Post Game online, and be sure to check out the CIO podcast on iTunes. You won't want to miss our next episode of our new magazine series, Street Level. It's Tuesdays at 8 p.m. This week we take a look at Tennyson Street up in North Denver, right around 44th to 38th, some uh, really great historic spots looking at the, for the food, the, the, the drink, the art, history, uh, and the community elements all throughout Tennyson Street. It's one of a couple episodes we're going to be going to Washington Avenue and Golden uh, pretty soon in a couple weeks. So we're hoping you're checking it out Tuesdays at 8 p.m. That is all the time we have. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, for everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much. Good night. Mm -hmm.